I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to have a moment of prayer. And then we're going to uh, get into the word today. Uh, For me, um, when I pray every week as a pastor at our church, we always try to pray for some different ministries in town and different ministries in our church and some missionaries. Uh, And I want to continue that today, even though we're apart, we still are concerned about our missionaries and the work that they do. So if you would join with me in praying this morning for Child Evangelism Fellowship, uh, for Sun Valley Community Church, and then also for uh, our compassion ministry here in this church. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for the opportunity that we have to minister alongside other believers. Uh, Lord, I'm uh, excited to think whether it's in uh, online services or in other ways that uh, there are people gathered together all over the world uh, in their homes, in their tiny home, in their tiny church, uh, that they're gathered together for the purpose of worshiping you today. Lord, I don't know the details of how Sun Valley Community Church is meeting today and Pastor Don, I don't know what his plans are, uh, but Lord, I would pray for him and for his church. Uh, Lord, that this, this time apart, that they would have the opportunity to grow in their faith, that they have the opportunity to grow in their discipleships in their own homes. Uh, but then Lord, as this all comes to an end at some point, uh, hopefully in the near future, uh, that that church and other churches like them will have this fondness for gathering together once they realize what they've lost. Lord, I would pray also this morning for Child Evangelism Fellowship, a missionary, Lord, and for Dwayne and Corinne Bazinet. Lord, so thankful for the work that they do. I've seen firsthand the ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship, bringing people to Christ. Father, what a holistic model. So thankful to see those kids come to Christ, but then some of those kids grow up to to join the Christian youth in action and they begin to disciple and to evangelize young kids. And then father, those kids are going to grow up to be adults, adults who are serving in your church and in your kingdom. Lord, I would pray for the, uh, the future of this ministry, how they're to go forward if things continue on as they are and how they can continue to do the work that they're doing, that you'd give wisdom and insight to their leaders. Father, I thank you for our compassion ministry in this church. I know that we have, Uh, purposely tried to partner with Bolivia and to be uh, aiming primarily at uh, adopting kids from Bolivia, Lord. But I would pray uh, with uh, Dan and Donna Snesco as we have a trip planned uh, coming up in the next year, that the details of that trip would be worked out, that uh, there would be provision uh, for people in this church to be able to go see some of the kids that they're actually uh, sponsoring. Uh, Father, as we move into our time in the Word, Lord, it's important to me that as as much as we're going out of our way to do things uh, different every week, just so we can get the word out to people. Uh, I pray in the midst of all of this, that all of those things would suddenly fade away. And what we would be left with is a remembrance of worship and of the word. Father, as we work through Revelation chapter 10 today, would you help me to express it clearly in this format, uh, but also help it to have an impact on those who are listening. Well, Father, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull that out. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 10. And uh, just want to give you a little personal insight on kind of why we're doing things the way we are today. Uh, The last few weeks as I've been preaching uh, to an empty sanctuary, standing up here on a stage, uh, it's, it's been very awkward for me and it's made me feel very disconnected from everybody. 
Uh, there's uh, a little bit of connection that you have in your living room. You've gathered together. You've got your family maybe uh, there with you or something along that or your dog or your cat. Uh, and then there I am on the TV, but I feel no connection to you because of all of this. I feel uh, separated really from my church family. And so it's been a little bit more difficult for me to preach and to even think about how to prepare those things. And so I asked if we could get creative this week and uh, build a living room setup so that our living room and your living room are now connected. And it feels like to me, you're just on the other side of the, my living room as we're going through the word today. This will have a little bit more of a home fellowship feel. I still have things that I wanna teach from God's word today. Uh, but as we do that, I don't want to uh, exclude you guys. So don't uh, be confused if I ask questions from people up here or ask somebody else to read. Uh, I might do that. I might also have some questions. I know I have some questions already set aside for you guys to discuss at home. So don't be afraid. If I have a question, uh, we'll put that question up on the screen. You can just pause the video. Uh, you can then take a moment. And if you're by yourself, think through that question. Uh, if you're with a group of people, you can discuss that question. When you're done discussing it, just push play on the video again. And you can join us right where we picked it up and you can hear how they answer these questions. So uh, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 10. And I feel like I have to give you just a couple of reminders of where we've been. Uh, as we've been in the book of Revelation uh, for a number of weeks, uh, nine weeks actually, but then we took that two week break so that we could prepare ourselves uh, for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. So I just wanna reset the boundaries of this study. Uh, the, a couple things that I wanna remind you of. The first thing is this, and that is that the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. Uh, when we were looking at prophecy, sometimes it's kind of hard for us to wrap our brains around those things. Uh, I often say prophecy is the hardest thing for me to teach because people desire when they're hearing the word to have some sort of personal application. Prophecy is not always designed like that. Prophecy is designed to tell us about what God's plan is, not so much about our plan. And so all we're really doing is seeing how we fit within God's plan. But prophecy, we're told uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, has three purposes. The first is edification, that we would be built up or strengthened by the word of God. The second is exhortation. Uh, that would be that we would be encouraged or spurred on to greater things. And then the third thing is consolation, that we would find some sort of comfort in these things. So maybe be paying attention as we put together this big picture of the book of Revelation over the course of 22 weeks total that we'll be in this book, how we can be strengthened uh, as spurred on to greater things and then consoled or comforted by the things that are taught in this book. Uh, the other thing I like to talk about in the book of Revelation is this book promises us specifically in Revelation chapter 1, 3, that if we hear this word and we apply it, we will be blessed. That these prophecies were written for the purpose of blessing believers in Jesus Christ. So we certainly don't want to uh, lose, that, lose sight of that idea. Now the outline for the book is, is pretty simple. Uh, the first chapter, we're told these are the things that he has seen. And it's that first picture of Jesus Christ in heaven. Chapters two and three uh, are letters. And these are the things that are, are now. And we would say the church age, that those letters to the churches are kind of representing who we are now as believers from the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ up until the end times. The end times begin to be picked up in Revelation chapter four, or as it says in the outline, after these things. In Revelation chapter four, I believe that the rapture of the church happens and then what's left on earth is only those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. 
Through this, though, continually we see in each of these different sections that we've studied for uh, through in the past that Jesus is attempting, he's still continuing to call out to people for repentance so that they could be saved. And so there's this constant promise of salvation all throughout there. There's a constant opportunity for people to repent and to return to God, even when they start to see these crazy things. And it started out right at the beginning there uh, when that first seal was broken and you kind of followed through those different things and you just see each of these things happening. You have these seven seals broken. Well, on the sixth seal, when that's broken, it says that the whole world can actually see the sky split open and they can see into heaven. So they're, they're actually not just seeing the works of God on earth. They're actually able to see the throne room of heaven they understand from that point forward that the things happening on on earth, as crazy as they're going to seem in this book, those are the things of God. Those are things that God is doing here on earth. And so they can recognize that. Now, sadly, there will be some who will refuse to repent even with that. And in fact, in that circumstance, what we're actually seeing is the people hide themselves from God rather than what I would like to say in that case, renegotiating their contract, right? They're in a bad situation. It's a good time for them to renegotiate with God. They've seen the power of God. They know their weakness in comparison to him. This is not the time to hide from God. This is the time to say to God, hey, I'm sorry. How can I join your team? It's time to renegotiate contracts. It's time to uh, work out a trade, to move from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom, to stop doing things in their own way. But unfortunately, that's not the way that works out. And so you have the seven seals now at that seventh seal, then these seven angels show up and each one blows a trumpet and something new happens time and time again, something crazy happens. But along that same pattern, when that sixth trumpet is blown, and that's what we see at the end of chapter nine, when that sixth trumpet is blown, we see this crazy thing happens. In verse 20 of chapter nine, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver, of brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murder, their sorcery, their immorality and their theft. So given the perfect circumstance, the perfect situation, They've seen the power of God. They've seen at this point, a third of the the world has been put to death of what's left that hasn't already been raptured. You have all of that going on and they still refuse to repent. Hey, let's not be like those folks, right? Like let's not be these people who refuse to repent uh, in the sight of God. But that's where we pick it up here uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 10. So I'm going to read through this whole chapter real quick, and then we'll come back and hit this in some bite-sized chunks. Chapter 10, verse 1. I saw another angel, another strong angel, coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud. And the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven 
And I swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, go take the book which is in the open hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So just real quick, the whole picture that we have here is John, the apostle, who's seeing all of these visions. He's going to see a strong angel standing on earth and on the sea. And this angel is holding an open book in his hand. John is going to be instructed Uh, to take that book out of the angel's hand and to eat it. The angel's also going to be making an oath at this time to not delay anymore revealing the mystery of God that was given to the prophets. So that's kind of the whole picture there. Uh, Before we look closely at the first three verses, those first three verses, uh, they're going to be a description uh, of a strong angel. Uh, Another strong angel is the way that it puts it here. It's going to be a great description there. Uh, But I just have a quick question for you. Uh, How do you think, before we look at that description, how do you think most people would describe an angel if they had a chance? So Doug, Sheila, Emily, if you guys, any of you just think, think to yourself, when people think of an angel, how would they describe an angel? Well, um, if we're talking like culturally, Um, there's two things I think of. There's one that's just the classic, like wings going out and, you know, sometimes a halo, sometimes not white gown robe thing or two, like a little cherubim thing, like half naked baby flying around. So how I would describe it, I guess when I think in my head more just so like the the first description. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those are kind of the two classics and those are the two that came to my mind as well. I mean, uh, when I think of angels apart from this, the scripture, when I just think of the way the world sees angels, uh, I think fat baby with wings or Sheila with wings. Those are my two options right Aww. there. Sorry, don't mean to embarrass you in front of everybody, but that's how I think of, uh, of angels in just that kind of sense. And uh, it really stands in contrast. If you think of, of uh, you know, a, 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 this chubby little baby with wings, so you think of uh, my, my attractive slender wife here, right, with wings, But then you compare that to this description of an angel. Uh, You'll see the biblical description here of this angel uh, is completely different. Uh, There's there's some interesting things here. It says in verse one again, I'll just reread through this. This is just the description of this angel now. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea, which I think is interesting. It's not in the sea, it's on the sea. And his left foot on the land. And then he cries out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. 
And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Now, when you think of that vision, when you think of this particular angel, this strong angel clothed in a cloud, rainbow on his head, face like the sun, pillars of fire for legs, standing on the land and on the sea at the same time. And he cries out with this loud voice like a lion. This is a different type of angel. Uh, When we look at this angel and we see how different people study this passage out to try to determine, you know, maybe who this angel is, it really kind of falls into two categories. I'll give you those two categories. Uh, There's one group of people that says this is actually Jesus Christ. And there's good reason for that description here. If you look at some of these descriptions that we see of this angel, very similar to descriptions that we see of Jesus elsewhere in the book of Revelation. So there's, there's one side of this. People would say, look, if this, you know, Jesus in, in uh, Revelation chapter one, verse 16, it says his face was glowing like the sun. Well, this angel's face glowing like the sun. Uh, it describes these pillars of fire here. It describes Jesus' legs as being these bronze pillars that have been heated with fire. And so it's kind of a similar picture there. So you can see kind of how they get this same idea. If you think about, you know, Jesus, the lion of Judah. Well, when this loud angel, this strong angel speaks, he speaks like a lion. So you can see where people would come to that conclusion. Uh, there's another camp that says, no, this isn't Jesus, but this Jesus or this angel uh, has similar appearances to Jesus, but it's not actually Jesus. Uh, they would come to that conclusion uh, for a couple of reasons. And, and, and I'll just give you this. Uh, so if, if it doesn't help you to try to decide which one of those camps you're in, I'll give you two names. Uh, so the founder of Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, he says that this is Jesus. John MacArthur, one of the most popular Bible teachers of our time, he says this is a strong angel. It's just another angel, right? Uh, So now you all want to know what I think in this. Uh, I tend to think that this is not Jesus. Uh, I don't like to disagree with Pastor Chuck. I don't like to disagree with anybody really. But uh, for me, uh, there's a key word in here that explains to me in verse one why I don't think this is Jesus And it says, I saw another strong angel. Uh, There is nothing like Jesus Christ. There is no one like Jesus Christ. So for me, this is just, it's another angel, but it is a strong angel. It has some similar appearances to Jesus. And for various reasons, that might be the case. His face might be glowing just because he just came from heaven. He just came down from heaven. Uh, If you remember the times that Moses would meet with God, his face would begin to shine. If you remember Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, it said his face shined like the sun. And so you kind of see maybe some similarities there. Uh, But I believe that this strong angel is just that, just another strong angel. And you see, you know, a strong angel in a couple of different places here in the book of Revelation. This is just another one of them. And I think he's just throwing that in there so that we don't think it's the same strong angel in chapter five that originally handed the scrolls to Jesus. Uh, So here we now have this strong angel is holding a scroll or a book in his hand. And so we pick it up in verse four, where it says, when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Now, if you want to drive a pastor crazy, tell him there's something in scripture that he can't understand. Here we have this 
cool verse, verse four, seven peals of thunder. So if you imagine just seven, boom, boom, thunder strikes, right? And those thunder strikes are actually saying something. John gets ready to write it down. He's got his, you know, legal pad out, or he's probably using his iPad right at this point. And he's writing it out here. And just as he's about to write, he hears a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. I wonder, and maybe you wonder, why do you think John would, would be forbidden to write what was said? I mean, it's just a great question. Why would, why would John be forbidden to write what was said? Now, the sarcastic part of me says it's, it's just to drive people crazy. But, you know, just one of those things. It's just one of those things that's just in there. Uh, just an Easter egg from God just to say, hey, you'll never figure this one out. Here's just something to solve, something to work on. Uh, I probably don't think that that's really what's going on here, though. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to have these little moments in the scripture where we recognize that God knows more than we do and he knows more than we ever will. I think that's important for us. I think it's humbling, important for us to remember that he's all knowing and no matter how much we study, we're not. That what he's revealed here in his word uh, is not the fullness. Uh, It's just enough for us. Uh, There's actually this uh, biblical concept known as progressive revelation. And uh, essentially what that says is that over time, God has revealed a little bit more of his plans, his purposes. Uh, this is one of those situations where he's letting us know it's not all been revealed to us yet. And so even as we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to still find that not every detail of this book is revealed to us. For me, it's heartwarming because sometimes I go through a book like this and there's so many different things in there that we're trying to interpret. And for me, I just feel like, man, how come I can't figure this out? It's easy for me to fall back on this idea of God doesn't want me to figure everything out. If I was all-knowing, I wouldn't need an all-knowing God. So just a great reminder, kind of right in the middle of this. So if you want to know uh, what I think those seven peals of thunder said, I'll tell you this, I did zero study on that. I read this here where it said, seal up these things that they said and do not write them. And I thought to myself, God's saying to me, Sean, that's none your business. So just stay out of it. So that's what I did. I didn't even study that out. What I did instead was I studied out to see if there was any other points of scripture that have that. There are some other places in scripture. We'll look at those in a minute, but there's other places in scripture that God does the same thing where he says, not your business. It's not for you. It's not for this time. I'll tell you this. I think at the end of time, when all of this is happening, we're going to be up with him in heaven. When these seven peals of thunder speak, we will all hear it from heaven if we're believers in Jesus Christ. So for me, I'm just comforted to know that I'll know someday, but it's not for me to know right now. It's the way we taught our children. Actually, we had this, this, uh, thought in the way that we trained our kids was they couldn't use something until they were old enough to use it. So we didn't let them touch the remote until we thought they were old enough to use the TV because it wasn't a toy. Same sense here. God's saying, Sean, you can't handle this yet. 
later when you're ready for it. And apparently that'll be when we're standing in heaven watching all of this going on at the end times that we'll have an opportunity to hear what those guys say. So we pick it up here in verses five through seven. Then the angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer, but the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished and he preached to his servants, the prophets. So now this strong angel is going to do something interesting. He's going to make an oath. He's going to swear and he's swearing to God in heaven. Uh, It says it like this. He lifts up his right hand to heaven and he swears by him who lives forever and ever. Well, we know this to be the triune God, God, the father, God, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Those who live forever and ever, and those who created heaven, earth, and the sea, and everything that goes within them. Well, we know that Jesus spoke and things came into creation. And so we understand that from the book of John chapter one. So this strong angel is making an oath to God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Another reason, by the way, verse six, why I don't believe this is Jesus. If you recall, uh, maybe in the book of Hebrews chapter six, uh, there's this section where it says, who would God swear by? So all God can say is, I swear by myself. But God wouldn't say, I swear to him who's in heaven. God wouldn't say that. It wouldn't make sense. So again, in my mind, this isn't Jesus. It's another strong angel, uh, but it's a small point. It's not something I would spend a lot of time on. But he's going to make this oath to the God who created everything. And he says this at the end of verse six, there will be delay no longer. Uh, We're not waiting for anything else. Something is about to happen. And he describes that for us in verse seven. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. As he preached to his servants, the prophets. This angel is swearing there'll be no more delay. The mystery of God will be finished And it's this mystery that God preached to his prophets. So we now look at this passage uh, and I think a couple of things come to mind as I read through this. First of all, in the New Testament, this word mystery, how it's kind of used throughout the New Testament, it's it's actually very, it's varied in, in so many different ways. In the gospels, when it said mystery, Jesus would say uh, that he was describing the mystery of a parable. And so the the parables and the understanding of those, those were described as mysteries. That's how we see it in the gospels. But in Paul's writing, he's got like eight or nine different ways he uses that word mystery. Sometimes he's talking about the mystery of bringing Israel and the Gentiles together to be one. Sometimes he talks about the mystery of the summation of all things in Jesus Christ. Sometimes he talks about the mystery of the gospel. Sometimes he compares the mystery of God and the church to marriage. And so Paul just has all these different ways he uses this phrase, the mystery. Um, but what I think is more interesting is, is they say that this is specifically a mystery that was preached to the servants of the prophets. So 
What I then did is I looked through the Old Testament prophets to see if there was some sort of of mystery that was unsolved, that we've been kind of waiting and waiting to be solved. So uh, I found uh, that mystery, at least for me, uh, as I'm looking at it here as one of the options that we could look at for this ministry, uh, comes out of the book of Daniel. And so Sheila put you on the spot. I know you're writing notes there, but uh, if you would open your Bible to Daniel chapter 8, first of all, Daniel chapter 8, and then read for us verse 26. Now, Sheila's using the NIV, so it might sound just a little bit different than your version, uh, but I suspect that's what's going on at some of your houses, different versions of the Bible. So uh, go ahead and read to us Daniel 8, 26. All right, Daniel 8, 26. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. So here, Daniel's being told to seal up this vision. Why? Because it concerns the distant future. Uh, To take it a little bit more specific, Sheila, if you'd look at uh, Daniel 12 and maybe verse 4 and verse 9. You don't have to read all the verses, just 4 and 9. So Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So here we have him now being told to seal up the scroll until when? The times of the end. And then uh, verse 9. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. And so here again, Daniel 12, 9. The words are concealed until the times of the end. So something that was revealed to Daniel won't be revealed to us until the times of the end. Now, uh, this mystery is not solved for us here in chapter 10. Uh, Even when we get to the point in scripture where I feel like it can be solved, I don't think it's actually clear. Uh, Some of the different commentaries I read would say things like, um, hey, this is just talking about the summation of all things. This is just talking about the end. This is just saying all the things that God promised to do in the end, that's going to happen. The problem I have with that is so much is going to happen after this. And here's what I mean. He gives us the time frame for this in verse 7. He says, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, so we've heard six angels already, when he is about to sound. So that tells me this has to happen before the seventh angel blows his trumpet. Well, the seventh angel is going to blow his trumpet in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. So whatever he's talking about has to happen before that angel blows his trumpet. Well, what we'll find in chapter 11 is that uh, we're going to have two prophets or two witnesses who will be out proclaiming the gospel. They're going to be put to death. They're going to be resurrected and they're going to be taken up into heaven. And so uh, it's just kind of this, this interesting thing that happens. And then all of a sudden in verse 14, it says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And then the seventh angel sounded. So somewhere in there is this mystery that God is talking about, but it, it doesn't really answer it for you. Uh, I, I guess I'd ask you this question. Here's a question for you guys to talk about at your house. Does it bother you that God leaves some things as a mystery? Does that bother you? I think for some people, it it really does bother them. Here's my thought. If this bothers you that God leaves some things as a mystery, 
I would think that you might have a a struggle with pride. And here's what I mean by that. You feel like you somehow deserve to know everything. You feel like you're somehow less if you can't figure everything out. I say, let's figure out the things that are clear in scripture. Those things belong to us. The things that aren't clear in scripture, those things belong to God. A great verse that you can read sometime, Deuteronomy 29, 29. That's a great verse that you can kind of read to kind of put you in that similar mindset that you understand there's just some things that don't belong to you. And there's some things that belong to God. But a good question to just consider, does it bother you that God has left some things as a mystery? Well, let's finish up this chapter here. I'm going to read in verse eight. It says, then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, go take the book, which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So now uh, John is going to have kind of this surreal experience Up until this point, John's really just been an observer. He's been seeing things happen in heaven, right? He's been kind of reacting to what he's seen. He's been writing things down. He's been taking note of these things. All of a sudden, he's asked to play a part in this. He's asked to actually go get this this little book that's open in the hand of this mighty angel. This voice from heaven says, hey, I want you to go get the book from the angel's hand. So John now is going to be called into duty and he's going to be asked to do kind of a really weird thing. He's supposed to eat this book. Thankfully, it's a little book, but he's supposed to eat this book, right? Like, could you imagine being asked? And I understand it's all prophetic and it was all done in a vision. And so this is just kind of an abnormal situation, abnormal circumstance anyway. But here's, here's John being asked to eat this little book that he's taken out of this angel's hand. So he's obedient. It's the right thing to do, right? When you're uh, in the presence of Jesus Christ and he tells you to do something, you should probably do it. But uh, he goes and he gets this book and he's warned that when he eats it, man, it's going to taste so good. It's sweet. And then when it hits his stomach, it's going to be bitter. This is the sweet and sour chicken of the Bible right here. This is a strange, again, a strange image, but it's not a first time image. This is an image that's been used elsewhere in the scripture. There's another prophet. If you guys put on your thinking caps for a second uh, and, and think, is there another prophet who's had a similar experience? Now I can tell you when I first read this, I was like, ah, I know exactly who this is. This is Isaiah. And then I went and read Isaiah and I couldn't find it anywhere in the book of Isaiah because I remembered wrong. Luckily, I've done the work for you. It's not Isaiah, it's Ezekiel. This happened to Ezekiel. And so I'm gonna have Sheila read for us again, Ezekiel chapter three. Uh, The good news is if you were able to find Daniel, Ezekiel's right before that. So go to Daniel, turn left, you're there. Ezekiel chapter three, again, another Old Testament prophet. Which verse? I'm gonna have you read verse three. All right. Ezekiel 3, 3. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Awesome. So a similar thing is happening. Ezekiel was asked to eat this sweet scroll and the same thing is happening here to John. He's asked to eat this same scroll. What's fascinating to me is the exact same thing happens afterwards. In both cases, they're then told to go out and to prophesy. And so it seems to me, if I was to guess what this is, this is the prophecy that uh, John is supposed to speak. And it's in that case, in the Old Testament, it was the prophecy that Ezekiel was supposed to take and preach to the people. This is, in a lot of ways, this is just the word of God being given to them. And when they eat the word of God, when we bring in the word of God, it is sweet. Although sometimes once we start to think about it, it can become a a little bit bitter. Uh, Think about the book of Revelation, for instance. This is the word of God. It's sweet. It's wonderful. It's awesome, right? But it also describes plagues and war and death and destruction. Same thing in the book of Ezekiel. He's going to go ahead and prophesy to the people, but they're going to refuse to repent. It's going to be this terrible time followed by uh, captivity and destruction and danger and, and disease and all of these things. And so, yes, it's the word of God, so it's sweet. However, it becomes to them bitter. The word in this case becomes bitter. So the prophecy that he's supposed to preach, we're told specifically what it is going to concern in verse 11. This prophecy that John's supposed to bring, he's going to be about peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So what I did from there is I just looked through the book of Revelation going forward for similar lists, peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And wouldn't you know it, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 9, right away, we're going to find that same concept. It says uh, in verse 9, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in the tomb. Speaking about those two witnesses that I told you would be put to death. And so it seems that could possibly be the prophecy. You could also fast forward that to chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 17. Uh, The understanding is that everything that happens, it seems to me, that John's going to be writing down and, and proclaiming to people, all of this stuff is happening to many people, nations, tribes, kings, however you want to look at it. Those are the things that are going to be covered going forward. So here's my final question for you guys. And we'll close right after this question, but this is just one for you to think about on your own or to just take a minute. If you have people in the living room with you uh, and just think through this question, as we've been studying the book of revelation, or really even as you've studied God's word, what has been bitter And what has been sweet for you? I think it's a a good way for us to look at scripture. Some people look at scripture as if it's a fairy tale. And it's all good news. And it's never anything bad ever happening. And and then when something bad happens or when they don't understand something, they just kind of like, oh, that doesn't sound like the Bible to me. Or when God does something that from our perspective seems horrific. There's different times where God commands people to be put to death or is involved in killing people. When he brings punishment on nations. Well, that doesn't sound like the God I know. Maybe 
you don't know the God of the Bible. It's important for us to adapt our thinking so that we can be uh, having a better understanding of who God is. And so important for us to think of it in that ways. But there are also scriptures that are just, they're just sweet to us. Uh, for me, the sweetest scripture, again, that I bring to my mind every week, Romans 10, 9. It's so sweet for me to remember that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, remembering that he's the boss, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. In other words, that God has the power to bring Jesus back to life, proves that he has the power to bring us back to life. We will be saved. Saved from what? The condemnation, the justice due to us because of our sin, because we broke God's law, because we broke relationship with him, because we lived like we were Lord instead of him being Lord. That's just the sweet message of the gospel to me. Confess Jesus is Lord, believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Perfect and powerful for me. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I'm first of all thankful for all the technology and all the work that goes into putting something together like this. Uh, Lord, I would pray though specifically for the people that I'm, I'm in their living room right now. I'm in their homes, they've invited me in. Each one of these people has something going on in their life. Lord, I would pray for them today. Lord, would you be making yourself known in those circumstances? A father of the last few weeks, I've personally known people from our church that have gotten sick, uh, who have the coronavirus. There are people who've lost their jobs. There are people who've had their hours cut. Uh, father, there's people who are already in financial difficulty and this is just heaped on top of it. Father, I know of missionaries and mission organizations that are struggling. I know of people from our churches who are losing their businesses. Father, each one of them needs your touch. They need your hand. Father, I would pray that you would speak into their life today. Father, I would also pray that for all of us, that we would be bringing to mind ways that we can minister to one another. Uh, for some people, we have the financial means. We can go out and, and help people in need financially, uh, Lord. But there's other people who maybe don't have the financial need, means, but they have other ways. They have our, our, our church phone directory. They can, they can call people that they normally see on Sunday and just ask them how they're doing. They can send an email to a friend or a family member. Uh, Lord, would you bring it to our minds to care for one another, that we would be your hands and your feet ministering to the people in this church. Lord, also, as we're out and about in the community, would you remind us to be good examples of you, uh, that we would be a picture of Jesus Christ to this community in the way we interact, that we would hold our tempers, uh, that we would be patient and that we would be kind and that we would be loving, uh, that we'd be willing to share instead of overflowing our carts, we would share with others. Well, Father, I pray as well that through this time of pandemic, Lord, that you would be bringing people to your kingdom. I can, I can envision it, Lord. I can envision the day when we're allowed to go back to church. I'm praying for overflowing churches, that those who have been waiting to go back to church would be there, but those who haven't been in years would return. And those who have not been at church at all, but maybe they were touched by a video they saw on the internet or a teaching they found online or, or another believer did something nice for them during this time. 
Father, that they too would come to your church. Lord, I'm praying that this would be used for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.